before we start arguing what the facts are, what the facts are not, um, I think we have to look at what does someone feel about a situation um, because that nobody cares about facts. Even the people who argue, you know, with facts, they're coming from a perspective. They're coming. They have a lens, and um, there's always another side, another set of facts that is worth considering because nothing's nothing's just simple. Um, and so that's kind of the caveat I was talking about, like. There's concrete truth, but concrete truth often has two different sides, you know, and so I think anytime you start talking about data, there's always going to be one because of perceived truth and because of the emotions that get involved with it, data is often corrupted. And so there's something that looks like data and then there's something that's actual data. Contentious Talks, a weekly podcast where we talk to influencers, celebrities, politicians, and everyday people to show that we all have unique perspectives, and that's a great thing. I'm your host, Ryan Malinowski, and this week we're talking to Ken Reed. Hey, Ken. How you doing? Good, good. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Awesome. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself, Ken. <sighs> tell me. Um, I am Ken. I'm a husband and father and writer and copywriter and um, live in Tyler, Tex, Tyler, Texas, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Play music and lots of stuff. What do you want to know? Um, let's start with what you're most passionate about. Um, as far as doing, uh, probably split down the middle between music and writing, um, just content creation and stuff. I, uh, my job is I'm a copywriter. I write. Um, write verbiage for web uh, web websites for okay. local businesses, service businesses, stuff like that. And then kind of passion project, I write for a couple blog publications as well as my own blog and um, stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, where, where'd you, uh, where did you grow up? Grew up in Bessemer City, North Carolina. Okay. I always have a hard time not going back into my uh, redneck accent when I say that, North Carolina. But what brought you to Texas? I was a part of a internship, Christian internship. Did that. That was in Garden Valley, which is, you will you won't find that. But um, it's, you know, in the Tyler vicinity, about 30 minutes away. Barely on the map. Yeah. and uh, Quite literally. <laughs> barely on the map. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, I stuck around. Cool. Been here for eight years, nine years since leaving. Okay. So, so you said you're married. Did, did you say you had kids? I do have kids. Okay. Yes. So uh, your dad, you're married. You do copywriting. What's uh? How'd you get into copywriting? So, when I was a part of the internship, um, I played in a band, and uh, we traveled around with a big old. Um, youth conference doing worship for um, a couple thousand teenagers every weekend and so that I was like I'm gonna be a rock star um, and then uh, that, that, left. Worked, that worked out right yes yeah for sure <laughs> therefore I'm a copywriter um, <laughs> no so yeah I left I left that eventually and uh, you know it was it was super cool because I felt half famous but um, they didn't pay me anything and so uh, it's like I should probably go get money if I want to marry the piano player which I did um, so I went and, uh, got a regular old job with no skills, no education, whatever. And, um, anyway, refused to give up on my, uh, my music dreams for a while, but finally, um, finally just kind of was like, you know, I got to do not what I want to do, but what's in front of me. Um, but still pursuing some sort of passion for creativity and stuff like that. And so, really just started blogging. Um, I was like, Hey, it's, you know, pretty cheap to, to start a WordPress blog. And so I started one, built a little, you know, crappy website and, um, all that stuff. And it, it, uh, I don't know if took off is the right, right way to say it, but, uh, it, it got more traction than I expected it to. And I've um, got a couple pretty cool opportunities, some cool paid gigs with a couple, um, Christian publications and things like that. And so, um, 
so yeah, I was like, this is cool. And eventually at some point I met a, a freelance web designer at my church who told me that um, he was looking for a copywriter to do the words for the websites he build. He builds. And I was like, I mean, I write other stuff. Why not? Let's give it a whack. And so, um, so I did like a gig and a half or something like that. And then I decided, Hey, I'm a, I'm a copywriter. And so, uh, there you go. so yeah, I put together some kind of resume with, you know, good stuff and happened to meet a guy that was like, Hey, my web design company that I work for is looking for a copywriter. So it was all, I mean, kind of fell into my lap, at least to a certain extent. Sounds like one thing led to another. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. So, so were you passionate about writing when you were younger? No, not at all. Um, I've, yeah, no, not writing or, or reading or anything like that. But, um, I think I've always been passionate about creating and communicating. Okay. Um, and so, you know, that was early on music and writing music, playing music. Um, and then eventually that became content, you know? Right. Right on, man. Um, how long have you been married? Eight years. Eight years. And how old are your kids? They are five and a half and almost three. Five and a half and almost three. Got a little, little man, a little woman. Cool. Boy and a girl. Yes. Um, so you said you were, uh, you're a musician as well. I am a musician. I mostly play, play bass, at least when I play with a band or whatever. It's usually bass. Um, I play guitar as well, and my, my wife sings, plays piano. You know, we're a musical family. Okay, cool. <clears throat> what got you into that? Um, well, the first time I remember... Um, ever deciding I was going to become a musician was I was 12. My dad was a youth pastor, volunteer youth pastor, and he put out, I don't know if you remember back in the day when there were, if you wanted to uh, recruit people, you would print out a eight, eight and a half by 11 sheet and cut up the bottom where you okay. could like, yeah. you know, pick off the, uh, the phone numbers or whatever. Right. And um, so anyway, they, they posted in a couple of music shops looking for a worship band so a husband and wife duo the husband played guitar and sang the wife played drums okay. um, we're like yeah we're interested and so uh, they jumped on they were like the only thing I'm missing is a bass player and I was like I mean sure why not and so that was 12 31 now and yeah I've been playing bass ever since okay so, do you write any of your own stuff or yeah yeah um, I mean I would imagine that the writing passion that you found and the musical passion go hand in hand together pretty well yeah yeah for sure i mean really the i guess uh songs was the first thing that i ever wrote um yeah you know way before i ever considered anything like just writing verbiage um you know or content creation or whatever is it was uh songwriting and so i'm really not a good singer but um i write pretty decent songs and just make other people sing them (laughs) That's you in a nutshell. I mean, that's that's me. Like, that's what else? What else could you possibly want to know? I uh, I am way too into myself. Um, I'm like I think most people think I'm super chill, but um, which I am. I'm super chill. But when if you put me in front of people, like I'm, I want to be the star of the show. I probably shouldn't be, but I want to be. Okay. So you know, ever since I was what three years old at daycare and for the Christmas uh, Christmas pageant was the, the star of their big old um, Christmas tree looking platform or whatever. I was literally the star. They were like, uh, you know, Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. And I was just at the very wrong times in the song, like a light bulb. You know? <laughs> so ever since then, I've been like, I, I need to be in front of people. Um, so content creation is not, there's the artists that are like, no, I just do it for the art. And I'm like, I, I do it for the show. I really do. I'm sorry. Right. I, that's so insincere. I do. <laughs> so you, you get a, a lot of uh, meaning and value out of knowing that people are reading the words that you wrote? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's if I, if I don't have an outlet where people are going to see it and appreciate it or even hate it, I'm totally cool with that. Um, but if you have some sort of feedback, um, then I'll, I'll give up on it. Okay. So that's part of what drives you, then. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, knowing that that it's it's 
having some sort of impact. Uh, I don't know. I almost want to say, probably not completely true, but I almost want to say I'd rather have a negative impact than no impact at all. Um, but that's probably not, not entirely true. I mean, from a marketing perspective, even a negative impact is oftentimes positive. But yeah. So does your family still live on the East Coast? Yeah. Yeah, they're in North Carolina, in uh, Gastonia. Uh, okay. Yep. Moved from, Familiar? Moved from Bessemer City to Gastonia, which is like 10 minutes away or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's been them for a mile away. Did you grow up with any siblings? Yeah, I've got a younger sister. <clears throat> um, she is 10 years younger than me. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, um, so I left when I graduated high school for the internship in Texas, and so... Um, she was I was 17 and so she was seven so we most of our relationship has been long distance but uh but yeah I always enjoy hanging out with her and talking to her when I can cool what was it like growing up in North Carolina so North Carolina is interesting no uh okay so for me North Carolina equals small ugly town um you know pretty podunk um you know, just, uh, I just, I grew up in a very, very small town of a small, you know, kind of county and everything. And so, um, so for me, North Carolina means like, do you want to go to Walmart, McDonald's or the local mall with like the coolest thing there's a hot topic, you know? So that's, that's my idea of North Carolina. And then I meet other people that I say, Hey, I'm from North Carolina. And they're like, dude, North Carolina is so cool. And I'm like, what? <laughs> um, I had a friend from Canadian recently say, dude, I love North Carolina. I went on my honeymoon there. I was like, what in the world? And so there's, there's basically North Carolina, people probably think of one of three things. They either think like um, the beach, you know, just sure. the cool East Coast side of things. They think of the mountains. Yep. They think of the big city. But then there's this fourth area, which is like small podunk, Gastonia area, North Carolina. That's where I'm from. So when most people say North Carolina, they're meaning something different than I mean. Gotcha. Yeah. So for me, it's not just a small town, but very, very small community. I was at the same church all my life with um, until I until I moved away with probably on a good week like 50 people, gotcha. um, and uh, I went to the Christian school of the same church with about 20 kids, kindergarten through 12th grade. 20 gotcha. kids. Um, and so for me, North Carolina is like, you know, it, it's just, it's the memories of, um, I'm, I tend to be not, I'm pretty chill, but I, I really like to be around people. I'm extroverted in that sense. Um, and so for me, North Carolina is kind of marked by boredom in some ways, you know, like, I just want to be around people. So you grew up in the least cool part of North Carolina. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> right on. I understand what you're saying. I've driven through there quite a bit and never had a desire to stop so that's fair it's usually my litmus test do i want to stop here or not so not because i'm afraid or anything but is yeah. there anything to stop here for yeah. so I, I, um, there are places to stop for but north carolina's got some uh, very specific areas yeah for sure for sure do you have any big dreams like moving forward next steps in life like is there anything on the horizon for you that you're excited about and working towards yeah i mean i think um I feel like the copywriting gig and, and doing that um, for a living, you know, it's been for several years a side gig. And so actually being able to create for a living is um, it's a, it's a pretty new concept to me um, to be able to do that full time. I've been doing that some version of that for about a year. Um, so that's that's been super cool. And uh, so, yeah, I think that I'm kind of settling into that, and getting used to it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've always got something bigger, something, you know, um, I love what I do and yet it feels like a stepping stone, you know? And so, um, I mean, I, I would love to be in a bigger city. Um, you know, I just think that there's tends to be more opportunities, although Tyler's got some pretty cool opportunities. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think to me, I love what I do being able to, I write for predominantly local companies, um, you know, service-based companies and stuff, which is super cool just to be able to like, support local business in a very tangible way you know by by uh, essentially marketing their product for them through search engine optimization and you know all the getting them to the first page of google and all the all that stuff but um but i think i would definitely love to use my powers for good uh, in the sense of 
um, writing for, you know, being able to write and create for some sort of nonprofit, um, for better or worse. I don't know. I feel like, uh, you probably understand this. I could change the world. And so then you leave that and you just do a nine to five and it's like, there's gotta be more than this, right? I don't even know if that's a good or bad thing, but that's in there. <laughs> and so it's, it's a real thing. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's hard to not always be craving that in some, some shape or sure. So talk to me about your blog. What, what is, uh, what's your blog called and, uh, what do you typically write about? What's, what's the focus of that? So it's honestchristian.org, um, dot com was taken. So I guess I'm, I'm, I'm stealing something from somebody, but anyway, <laughs> But, um, yeah, honestchristian.org. It's um, basically just my way of, of trying to be honest about doubts and fears. And, you know, I, I think that that's a big thing that Christians tend to not be very honest about. There's kind of a, you know, got to look the part, play the part, that kind of thing. And so for me, I'm just like, I feel like a lot of people are thinking things that they're not saying. And so, um, so yeah, I, I just want to kind of be a voice in um, essentially just saying, hey, it's okay to like to doubt, to try to work through things, to figure things out, to say, I, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but here's how I feel and that that's legitimate. Um, so just honest, being an honest Christian. <laughs> gotcha. You uh, you'd said how you uh, weren't expecting the type of response that you got uh, from starting out, I guess. How long have you been doing the blog? So, I basically started the year that my daughter was born, so it was 2017. Um, I'll say I started consistently. I'd done a couple runs or whatever before then, but um, but yeah, I started consistently um, about three and a half years ago, I suppose. And so, uh, so yeah, basically it was just um, just like, yeah, I'll start blogging. I've got some ideas. i got some words I think I should say or whatever. And um, eventually started, um, was able to get published by a company called Relevant. Um, and so I was, you know, did some stuff for their, their blog, pretty big Christian publication. And then um, started writing for um, a publication called Heart Support and publication called Lightworkers, and so um, a couple paid gigs, a couple they pay in influence type gigs, you know, but um, but yeah, it was just really cool to, to see, you know, stuff that I wrote that uh, otherwise no one would really read, um, but then, you know, I'd be able to write it and publish it on a, on a larger platform and, uh, you know, get, you know, thousands of people giving feedback and things like that, and, um, you know, just a really cool, like, wow. Okay, people care, and it's just interesting to see the things that you know you assume everybody's going to be on board with and get backlash from it. And I don't know, just learning a lot of things, forming some interesting relationships, um, having interesting, you know, online conversations. People, I don't know. I feel like I I say things. I'm like, oh, here's this opinion that I have, and then someone sends you a private message and starts asking about, uh, well, what do you think about this? And I'm like, whoa, whoa. I wasn't like actually trying to like, you know, give you advice. I was just saying my opinions or whatever. And so um, people actually start taking you serious. That's almost more scary than people passing you off. Sure. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. It's, it was interesting, but yeah, I mean, definitely took off in an interesting way. And so um, ended up writing one post about porn addiction and stuff that, uh, that took off as far as on Google. Um, ended up like on at number two position on that particular search or whatever on Google. And so it was like at one point up to 10,000 people reading it every month. Um, and, uh, so it'd be, you know, people started subscribing to my email list and got like almost 2000 email subscribers and people asking me like, Hey, I'm, you know, struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. What do I do? And, you know, I was like, Whoa, I just wanted to, that's all I have to say. I don't, you know, read the blog. That's, that's all I've got. <laughs> and so, uh, just really, therapist. Yeah, yeah, just really trying to figure out, you know, like how do I help people? What do I say? You know, now that I'm actually responsible, not just for, um, giving an opinion, but like what, what, how someone's going to interpret something and it turn into grace versus shame or whatever, right. you know, especially in an area like that. And so it's, 
very interesting. But uh, but yeah, so it's it's been really cool uh, to get some of those opportunities and stuff. So how did uh, how did getting published come about? Did they reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? No, I reached out to them. Yeah, okay. I thought I had something worth saying, so it's like um, that was the initial. So the first one with Relevant Magazine, I reached out to them, and uh, it's like, hey, you know, publish this blog post, please. It's awesome, and got crickets, and uh, so then I did it again a few weeks later, and nothing. Did it. I mean, probably the fourth or fifth time they were somebody. I was like, nobody's ever going to respond to this. And finally, the fourth or fifth time someone responded, was like, yeah, I'll publish it. It's like half a sentence, you know. Yeah, I'll publish this. And then I was like, huh. So, but that happened several, you know, I don't know, twelve times maybe since then. And then those couple other publications that would um, reach out or you know, some way, shape, or form. And so, got a couple other gigs and opportunities through that and stuff just people seeing it that way so so was it once once you had that first thing published did it was it easier was it harder to find things you know you said that after that some people started coming to you yeah mm-hmm. yeah okay. so that relevant pays in um in influence and so they're like yeah uh you know we have a big platform people will find out about you or whatever so they're not going to pay you anything but yeah um, a paid gig through that somebody a new publication that was starting that uh, that reached out to me and was like hey we've seen some of your stuff and you know really want to uh, bring you on as a contributing writer on ongoing paid gig you know and everything and so that's kind of my really the first opportunity that I ever had that I was like oh somebody wants to give me money for my words yeah. and uh, so yeah that's kind of where it all started I think now I've I've changed. To me, I'm more interested in the perspective. I guess, I mean, I guess you can call it empathy. I don't really consider myself much of an empathetic person, but I think this approach is an empathetic approach, which is, I don't really care to convince you or even convince myself that something's right or wrong. Um, I'm more interested, I'm more interested in hearing where you're coming from, you know? Because I'm like, so I'll just say it like this. I feel like growing up, um, and even into part of my adult years, I would ask something, for example, you know, I'm, I tend to be pro-life and stuff. And so, um, so I would ask somebody, you know, like, well, why do, you know, why do Democrats or liberals or whatever, um, believe in abortion? And the answer was, cause they're idiots. And I'm like, okay, really? Like they're just idiots, like all of them. And so for me, I'm like, okay, I can tell you what I believe about this, but I want to know. I, I guess just starting from the perspective of, okay, let's assume you're not an idiot. Where are you? It's very gracious from? of you. Yeah. It's, it's like, very gracious. Yeah. Of you. And so that's just kind of, that's my perspective. Not, I'm there, like, there are not many people operating from uh, let, let that point of view. Yeah. Um, so, but that's really, I mean, like, it's just, I feel like any questions that I would ask like that, that was always the response. There's just right. some stupid response like, oh, cause they're morons. Right, because they're liberals, because they're whatever, and I'm like, well, that that's so. And so I think just listening, not even from the perspective of I'm willing to hear you out and let and listen and change my mind. I, I wouldn't even say I was that humble. Just enough to say, I'm willing to assume you're not a moron. <laughs> and from that, there was a lot of things that changed my not only perspective but like actual beliefs. You know, right. And so, but yeah, it's it's uh, just interesting when you actually take the time to go. Okay, let's just assume. I don't. I'm not gonna say like assume that you're right. Assume that maybe you have information I don't know. But just bare minimum, just assume you're not an idiot. Let's have a regular conversation. Do you have something to say? Then consider being on the show. Go to contentioustalks.com/guest and apply today. That's contentioustalks.com/guest to apply. Now back to the show. Um. Awesome, Ken. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for sharing a bit about your story and your life. I certainly appreciate it. Mm-hmm. What we're going to do next is everybody's favorite part of the podcast. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's called the Tough Twelve. The Tough Twelve. The Tough Twelve. There's twelve questions here, three categories, four questions each category. First okay. is politics. You ready? I'm ready. What is a fair society? Whoa. 
Whoa. Kind of like vague questions. Give me like straight questions. That's a straight question. Uh, what is a fair society? Yeah, how would you define a fair society? I mean, I, so I, I think I definitely, I'm somewhere in between liberalism and libertarianism. Okay. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that, uh, I, I would say as it pertains to my freedom of choice, like what I do, I would say until it infringes upon someone else's rights, you know, um, kind of leave me alone, you know, and I, I would say that like, there's a lot of things that personally I, I'm not for, but then politically or legally, I'm like, no, I, I think that this is important that this should be legal, um, drugs. I, I don't, I don't smoke marijuana, but I think that it should be absolutely legal because I think the idea of uh, someone being locked up for, you know, smoking dope, I'm like, that's so stupid. Like, that's just, that, to me, that's just a money market. And so I would say that that's at least a big step toward a fair society um, that I think that there's a, so that's the libertarian side of me and the liberal side of me, I suppose, is um, once people to be taken care of, um, you know, and I, I personally tend to think that, I don't know that I would completely say the government has that responsibility or that mandate, but I'm like, why wouldn't we do that? Like, uh, the, I think the government is most, I'm going to get tons of people rolling their eyes at me, but I, I think the government is most equipped just in the sense of they have access to everyone to be able to, um, to distribute some of that fairness. Um, and I'm not necessarily talking about wealth, but, uh, but just, you know, whether it's healthcare or, um, just not being put in a cage, um, because you came across a border trying to find safety or, or whatever it is. Um, I just think that in general, you should be, um, respected, you know, your, your rights should be respected, uh, as a human and that, um, to whatever degree is not unreasonable. If someone can be taken care of, they should be. Gotcha. Awesome. What is the number one issue facing society, humanity, however you want to look at it? I don't think that there is a one issue. Um, but I, I would say, I would say, okay, I'll say if, if there's like one big issue, it's got a lot of different faces and a lot of different symptoms. Um, but I would just say the idea of um, really just kind of what I was saying before, uh, uh, the idea of a lack of empathy, not not understanding or seeking to understand where someone else is coming from, um, I think just just is really responsible for creating, uh, injustice and racism and, you know, um, extreme classes, extremely rich, extremely poor, um, things like that. I, I think just a lack of empathy. So trying to understand. Yeah. Gotcha. That was pretty succinct. I like it. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> um, do politics matter, Ken, and why? Politics do matter. I feel like I, I almost want to answer like, do politics matter to me? <laughs> um, politics matter as much as they affect individuals, which ultimately, you know, all politics, at least to some degree, do. But um, I mean, for me, uh, to me, politics has social implications, and that's ultimately all I care about. Um, you know, so if you're going to talk to me about taxes and stuff, I'm going to get really tired, but if you're going to talk to me about, you know, who taxes are helping or, or not helping or who they're, you know, whose pockets they're boosting or not boosting or whatever, you know, then I think, um, that's where I'm going to really say, okay, this is a conversation that matters. I think to whatever degree politics affects, um, life, someone's life and livelihood is where politics matters. Right on. What do you believe um, in terms of what role the government should play in our lives? Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I, I think kind of what I said before, I think that I tend to be liberal in the sense of, um, I think if someone, if someone can be taken care of reasonably, um, they should be. And I think that if, uh, that we should have as much freedom as possible until it infringes upon someone else's freedom. And so I think that the government, um, should, or at least ideally would, um, give as much freedom as possible. The only people in jail are in jail for violent crimes or because they're a danger to society. And that the goal as much as possible is to uh, rehabilitate them and bring them back into society if that is all possible. Um, but they shouldn't be killed pretty much under any circumstance. Um, I don't really believe in capital punishment. Um, and then on the other side, I think that uh, I don't think that it's unreasonable to um, to let me. I, I don't know that I would say I'm full on let's do welfare, but uh, I think the idea that someone feels like they're about to have a heart attack and then they have to think about how much they're going to pay um, just shouldn't be a, a decision that somebody has to make. Um, you know, as far as should I go to the emergency room or just hope for the best. I, I don't feel like that's a decision someone should ever have to make. I feel like it should. Um, so I, I probably am at least open-minded to the idea of, uh, you know, things like healthcare and, and other things like that being distributed, um, to the degree that it can be without breaking, you know, without, without full on robbing other people, no matter how rich they are. Basically, I'm just indecisive on about everything. <laughs> you can call it moderate or indecisive. It probably looks about the same. <laughs> right on. Well, that was politics. Here comes philosophy. Uh, what is truth, Ken? Um, so truth has two faces. Truth is there's concrete truth and there is perceived truth. We were kind of talking about that earlier. Um, concrete truth is the facts. You know, it's it's the here's what happened, here's the data, here's what is. Um, it can be analyzed, it can be falsified. Um, you know, falsifiable. You can prove it whether it's right or wrong. Um, and then there's there's kind of a caveat to that. I'll get back to that in a second. But uh, then there's perceived truth, and I think that concrete truth is what matters in the sense that. Um, it's what's real, but I would actually argue that perceived truth matters more as far as how it affects society because um, an idea, I read this once, an idea is not popular because, um, because it's true, an idea is popular because it's interesting. And uh, you know, I, I think that that's, um, I don't know, I feel like that that's important is before we start arguing what the facts are, what the facts are not, um, I think we have to look at what does someone feel about a situation? Um, because that, nobody cares about facts. Even the people who argue, you know, with facts, they're coming from a perspective, they're coming, they have a lens, and um, there's always another side, another set of facts that is worth considering because nothing's Nothing's just simple. Um, and so that's kind of the caveat I was talking about. Like, there's concrete truth, but concrete truth often has two different sides, you know? And so I think anytime you start talking about data, there's always going to be one because of perceived truth and because of the emotions that get involved with it, data is often corrupted. And so there's something that looks like data, and then there's something that's actual data. For example, um, the whole, well, you know, whites get killed by police way more than blacks. And so the end, um, and they give you the numbers, whatever the numbers are, like, uh, I don't know what the numbers, I remember what the numbers are, but it's like per year, however many thousands of people that get killed by police white, um, versus hundreds or whatever the number is black. And it's like, Oh, well, yeah. So this isn't a race issue. And then you look at, okay, hold on. Um, let's look at percentages. If blacks make up 13%, from what I, I think that's right, of our population, um, 
yes, they're going to be getting killed at a lower rate or, you know, fewer numbers. But as far as the rate is concerned, they're actually disproportionate to how much, how many, how often they should be killed. And so you can present this set of facts with the hard numbers and it looks one way. And then you can present the percentages and it's like, oh, actually, yes, fewer blacks are killed than whites, but two and a half, they're killed at two and a half times the rate as whites. And so that's a whole other, uh, it's just one of many examples that I feel like I've seen, you know, you get the little memes and stuff. Here's the numbers. And then it's like, then you get another meme. Oh, actually, here's the numbers fixed, you know. And uh, I just think there's concrete truth. But I feel like in most cases, someone's trying to twist the concrete truth um, with some kind of agenda. I can definitely agree with that. Cool. Uh, what do you believe about people's ab- ability to change? Um, I mean, if I didn't think people could change... Like, I guess I would be a hypocrite. I feel like in the past 10, certainly 10 years, 10, 15 years, I've changed a ton. Um, Yeah, I mean, to me, again, I feel like it all comes back to empathy and understanding someone else's perspective. If you stop worrying as much about not worrying, I think it's, so let me say it this way, kind of go back to the whole truth versus perceived truth or data versus feelings. Um, I feel like data can back up what you believe, but I don't think in most cases it drives what you believe. I feel like stories drive what you believe. So when you actually meet someone, um, you're much more likely to understand their perspective than reading about them, um, or hearing about them or, you know, the infamous they or whatever. And so, yeah, I think that, uh, that just understanding, um, where someone's coming from changes people. Um, so that... So but let me let me caveat that. There's a big difference in changing your beliefs and changing your actions. And uh, I think habits and addictions, I feel like that's a whole different conversation. And um, changing them is not impossible, but it's it's really, really freaking hard. And for a lot of people, it, it seems pretty near impossible. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's easier to believe, to change your beliefs than your actions. Um, yeah. Got it. How do you explain consciousness? Consciousness or conscience? Consciousness. Consciousness. Like the idea of being alive? Sure. Um, man, I, I can't explain that at all. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think... <clears throat> I, I tend to think that, that, that we're kind of a at least two part, maybe three part person. It's kind of a spirit soul body type thing where like, and I think people lean more, more toward one or the other. I heard, um, I don't remember who it is. Is it Christopher Hitchens that he died, right? I I think it's Christopher Hitchens. He's a, um, really, really famous, famous guy for being an atheist, um, famous for not believing in God, which is what it is. But I, I think it was him that he wrote a book, um, just talking about kind of his final days, final months, whatever it was. And um, one of the things that he said was he would hear hear doctors talk about like, um, um, he'd hear the doctors that are kind of, you know, working on him and everything, saying things like, his body's failing him, you know, and kept referring to it as his body. And uh, so some, his, you know, the body is something that belonged to him rather than being him. And um, at some point, he just kind of gets all riled up, and he's like, "Stop saying his body. I am a body," you know. And so that's a that's a very specific worldview, I guess. Um, that that this is all we are. It's just parts, you know. Um, and uh, then there's another side of the worldview that says, really, ultimately, what I am is, uh, you know, a soul or a spirit or whatever you want to use. Um, and uh, you know, and so like this body's just a suit. It's just a, you know, kind of like clothes. And so the real me is on the inside or whatever. You can't see it. And I, I actually don't believe that either of those extremes are helpful. I think that like I am really this person that you're looking at, but yet there's something inside of me that's animating me, animating, not animating, animating, animating me that isn't just my brain and my heart. Um, 
it's it's something there that can't be found with an autopsy um but uh you know and so there's really those those two that work together that give consciousness all right so what exactly makes you you then what makes me me what makes you you um everything from dna to experience i mean as far as my personality i guess um i think that uh i don't know i've I've heard people try to argue like was it was it nature or nurture you know like was it what you were born this way or you were conditioned conditioned this way and i really don't think it matters Um, i think that all of our experiences as well as our heritage you know our, our dna our history um our family line uh, our culture like all of them come together to form this person that uh, is in some ways unique and in some ways exactly like everybody else Um, but yeah I mean I I think that uh, what makes me me is um, the experiences I've had and the uh, the things that are I don't know unexplainable that I was just born with DNA and all that stuff now, last category here, Ken. Uh, personal slash religion. What do you believe about God? I think that that God is, in one sense, understandable, and in some, in another sense, like beyond understandable. Um, I believe that we are made in His image, and so when you look at each other, you you get a better idea of of who God is and what He's like, and yet. I think that there's so many things that are far beyond um, about God that are just far beyond what we can understand and, and how we see things. And so, uh, to me, what I believe about there's what I believe about God. Is that right? Yes. So, um, I think as a as a Christian, I feel like um, ultimately what I believe about God, or maybe I should just say whether I believe that God exists and is the God that I believe in, um, ultimately comes down to Jesus and primarily the resurrection. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I, I hear a lot of people, um, try to argue intellectually that God exists by saying, um, that, uh, oh, well, we can look at, you know, creation and surely this had to have had a creator and blah, 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 and, you know, or different, different angles, different people will try to take um, the Bible is true or whatever. Um, and I, I'm not opposed completely to any of those as far as agreeing with them, but, um, I don't think that any of those to me definitively prove anything. I think to me, the, the safest, the thing that I, depend on in the moments of my biggest doubts of uh, whether I'm maybe worshiping the right God, um, whether I'm just wrong about all of this, whether there is a God at all, ultimately comes down to um, hard facts that I I can hold on to in the moments of I just don't know, is uh, ultimately comes down to the resurrection. Is it reasonable to believe that Jesus really rose from the dead? And if he did, what does that, what are the implications? Um, <clears throat> and I think um, really even outside of the Bible, uh, especially outside of the Bible, um, I think that you, I just have so much reason to believe that, that that event really happened and that that means something for what I believe and how I live. Awesome. What do you believe happens after death? I have no idea. Um, I believe that um, after death, there, I mean, I think we're still, we're still somewhere. Um, I think that there's after death and then there's like kind of the end, like the very, very end of history or whatever, uh, which is kind of a new beginning or whatever. Um, and so I think that after death, there's, I don't know, kind of this holding place where I don't, I don't know that I necessarily believe in the, um, kind of, you know, middle, middle ages, uh, 
the hell is fire and heaven is clouds type thing. Um, but, uh, but I, I think that there's some sort of separation between, um, between the, the people who want to be with God and the people who just really didn't, you know, and I, I think that God kind of gives them what they want, um, in that sense. And, um, and so, but I, I think that that's kind of a temporary, like a holding place, whatever that place or condition or state is. Um, I think ultimately, to me, what matters much more is the very end, um, which is resurrection. The idea that just um, there's going to be a renewal where um, where that, that thing that's in all of our souls when we see horrible things in society, where we see injustices that we just want to be made right, I think that there's a renewal that is promised to come someday where God is going to do that. And uh, there's going to be a, a resurrection, not just of people coming back to life or whatever, but um, but of I don't know, just an overall renewal where things are made new again. Good deal. What gives life its meaning? I mean, to me, I think that there's, there's a big big category and then there's a lot of subcategories um, I think on a day-to-day basis um, you know love just relationships I feel like um, to me some people the idea of being alone is heaven um, for me being alone sounds like absolute hell and so uh, you know to me I'm just like I mean I think that that meaning is in relationships it's in love it's in um, just with other people that you care about and uh, all that kind of stuff. But I also think that um, that ultimately what gives life its meaning in maybe the darkest times or whatever is just like, um, is is there a God? And if, he de- and if there is, um, if he exists, what does that mean? And uh, I think that it means everything. Awesome. Here's the last question. Made it through the top 12. What is love? Love is... Um, I don't remember all of these, but uh, I, I appreciate the fact that the Greek language has four different words for love, where we only have one. Um, and so, and I think all four have their unique... Um, their unique... Uh, meanings and give value to that word and so there's one eros which is like erotic eros um so sex love or you know kind of sexual love there's phileo which is i think that's like affection or like you know friendship affection and there's some other one that i don't remember and then there's agape um and agape is like kind of an unconditional love it's like no matter what i'm for you and so uh, i think all four of those, even though I can't remember the third one, uh, kind of work together to, to give a, a complete version of love. But I, I feel like ultimately love is just, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's everything. Like, I don't think it's just one thing. I, don't, I, I think some people would say love is laying down your life for someone or loving someone no matter what. And I would say, yes, that is one element of love. I also think love is friendship and Um, Just really liking the person, you know, not just I love you, but I don't like you right now, but also like I love you and I like you right now. Um, I think that that's that's also gives love its full fullness. Um, And I also think like a really, really awesome form of love is uh, sex. You know, Um, for me with, you know, for my wife, um, just that that's that's a level of love and intimacy and knowing one another that I don't have with anyone else. And that's important. There you go. So. Awesome. Well, that was the top 12. Where, uh, where can people find more out about you? Follow you, see your stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. Um, you can find all the links and all the whatever's on, um, my website, uh, my blog, which is honestchristian.org. Um, I've got a blog there. I've got some, you know, some cool resources and uh, free, a couple free eBooks um, that I've written about different topics that uh, kind of go a little deeper than, than my blog can and things like that. So, yeah. 
Cool. Thanks, Ken, for being on the show. Really appreciate your time and your honesty. And it was a great conversation. Yeah, it was. Next week on Contentious Talks. Um, I, you know, I've always been a performer. I was the oldest of, uh, like, in my family. Um, I was also the oldest grandchild. There was the oldest granddaughter, I should say. So I was always thrown in front of the family to do something, whether that was singing or dancing. And I just went with it. I really enjoyed it. Acting is everywhere, whether it's voice acting or like it's said, commercial work, everything you see, those are actors. Rarely are they the real people. Right. I mean, some Chick-fil-A uses real people. I will tell you that because I almost got hired from them once. And then they found out I was an actor and said, oh, we can't use you. We want our customers to know that these are real people. And I'm like, but I'm real and I love Chick-fil-A. They're like, no, you're gotcha. an actor. <laughs> what acting has taught me or being wanting or trying to be in the public eye has taught me is that you have to know who you are, know what you stand for. And I want to say commit to it, but I also say never say never, <laughs> you know, cause as you age, you change. Right. Um, but just know who you are and be comfortable in that, but also be comfortable with learning and unlearning things, you know? Yeah. And I think the biggest thing for me when I post things on social media is, am I doing it out of love? Because that's who I want to be regardless of who you are. And if I disagree with you, I want to be a loving person. I want to be known as being a kind person, but I also want to be known as somebody who stood up for what she believed in. Sure. Hey guys, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Contentious Talks. Did you like the episode? If so, please consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. To get notified about new episodes, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to connect more, like Contentious Talks on Facebook. To support Contentious Talks and for more content, consider joining the Contentious Collective for as little as $1 a month. To do so, visit ContentiousTalks.com today. Contentious Talks is produced, hosted, filmed, and edited by Ryan Malinowski. Contentious Talks, copyright 2020, all rights reserved.